if you've ever tuned in to Native Expat Radio, there's a good chance you've already heard of Jim Gesselbracht. And if you've ever been on YouTube or Facebook, there's also a pretty good chance that you've seen his videos. But for those of you who aren't familiar with the name, maybe this clip will help. Having been a fan since first hearing his beautiful acoustic renditions of Palawan oldies several years back, I made it my personal mission to find, friend, and interview Mr. Gesselbracht. And only just recently was I finally able to make it happen. I wanted to start by asking, how did you end up in Palau and learn about Palau? Uh, okay, so I, um, when I graduated from college many years ago, uh, I was a Peace Corps volunteer, and I was assigned to Palau working with public works uh, in the water department. So that was 1980. And I was a Peace Corps volunteer from 1980 to 1982. Okay. And my my job was to, um, it was sort of one of these impossible jobs, at least in the beginning it seemed like, because when I got there we were on two hours of water a day. And um, the Actually, both the water and the sewer system were run by this uh, expatriate that, uh, let's just say he was past his years. And it was not a good situation uh, for the people he was working with or for uh, Kalor as a whole. And so my job was to learn everything I could from him before they fired him. And then transfer all that knowledge over to the Plowman staff. And, uh, there, yeah, it was a, as a kid fresh out of school, we didn't really know anything. It was an interesting experience. Uh, but I ended up, uh, being somewhat successful in the job. And, uh, by the time I left, we had the system on 24 hour water. Uh, so that was, it was a great job. And then I, I ended up staying there. So I, I ended up going to Yap for a year and doing a similar job on Yap in 1983. Uh, but I continued to come back to Palau doing some, you know, extra work on the water system and just seeing friends. And then in 84, I moved back to Palau for about another six months. So I lived out there for almost four years. And then how did you get interested in Palawan music. Palawan music is just different enough that we wouldn't really expect anyone to listen to it outside of <laughs> Palau. So I, uh, well, I'm a musician, an amateur musician, and music has always been a very important 
part of my life. So when I, you know, when I lived in Palau, music was a very important thing, still is a very important thing to daily life in Palau, especially weekend life in Palau. And um, it took me a little bit, as I've, I've written on my blog, it, it took me a little bit to uh, kind of warm up and figure out what the heck was going on with this music. And at first I thought, oh, my God, this is going to be the longest two years I've ever spent because I'm going to have to listen to this awful music for the next two years. But then I started actually listening to it, and and it started becoming more and more familiar to me, and I started learning some of the songs. And, well, you're still, you're still young enough that, that your, your soundtrack of your youth may still be going on, but for, for many of us, as you get older, the songs of your youth are things that bring back good memories. And uh, a lot of these Palauan songs from the early 1980s uh, and, and the way that they were played in that time, you know, for the last however many, 30-some years, they still bring me back to that time and place. Anyway, so that's how I became interested in the music originally. And over the years, you know, I've continued to play music. I play a lot of different styles of music. Um, I'm primarily a mandolin player. And kind of in my early days, when I came back to the States after Micronesia, I actually spent some time kind of diving into my own culture a little bit more. I kind of I kind of came back and I thought, you know, I just spent four years learning about another culture and, you know, seeing all of the interesting things that I could find about this other culture. Maybe I should spend a little bit more time in my own culture and figure out, you know, what's there. And so uh, I did that partially with music and became involved in some of the local music. You know, I had a radio show in Illinois for a while. Started playing a lot of, of old country and bluegrass music in the small towns in the Midwest. And then kind of made my way through a bunch of different styles of music over the years. Uh, mostly focused on mandolin, and in the in the last um, probably about ten years, I took I kind of took a little break while I was raising my kids because didn't have a lot of time for music in those years. But uh, in probably the last ten years, I've gotten back into music much more seriously, and I've been playing what's called uh, old time American music, old time traditional American music, and it's it's mostly music of the in many ways, it's mostly music of the Appalachian Mountains. It's a cross between, um, I guess, a Celtic music, you know, Irish, English music, mm-hmm. and African American music. These are the influences that were sort of morphing this music in the Appalachian Mountains. And I, I've become very much immersed in this culture of, of learning all of, of these tunes and learning the history of the, their music and all of that. And as I got deeper into it, I, I, I wanted to actually spend some time studying this music a little bit more, studying some kind of music a little bit more. And I realized that there was this wealth of music in Palau that has really not been studied very much. And I was kind of spurred on a little bit by reading, there's a, a, a woman from Germany who's written, a, she did her PhD dissertation on Palau and chants. And uh, it's, a, it's a fascinating read if you haven't found it. But um, she talks a little bit about contemporary music, the Ali Takla. And she made a comment in her dissertation that really sort of tweaked me a little bit. 
she basically said, well, modern Colombian music, it's, it's very much unoriginal. They don't, they steal everything and, you know, it's just kind of throwaway music. And that kind of got the hairs in the back of my head, my neck up a little bit. And I, I said, that's not true at all. And that was kind of a challenge to me to go out and, and to kind of disprove her that there's actually quite a bit of creativity in what I call the modern Cologne music. And and so that kind of started me on a path of about a year or so ago of digging in even more deeply into this music to see what I could find. And it's been quite a quite a path over the last year. I started off on this journey not really not really knowing where where I was going to end up. I still don't know really where I'm going to end up or, or even why I'm doing this, except I find it fascinating. What I have found is that there are some people who know quite a bit about the music, and there are other people who don't know anything at all about the music. And you know that's that's not that's not surprising. That's no different than anywhere else. You know, I have I have friends in the States who are very, you know, they have this intense knowledge of, of music and other people who are just like, yeah, it's just something I turn on the radio and I listen to and don't give it any other thought. A lot of people who don't even listen to the words. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for me, for the longest time, a lot of these plowing songs, I really didn't know what the words were. I knew a few of them, but it isn't until I start really digging into them and translating them that I started realizing, wow, there's some real poetic things going on here. And and so that's what I find very interesting. I also I also thought that the composers of this music have really been ignored over the years. And their story to me is a, is a, I think is potentially a very interesting story. A lot of people will say any song that's old that you know before nineteen eighty it, it must have been written by Inese. And, you know, I, I can't tell you how many people in Palau that I talked to last year when I would ask, you know, who wrote that song? Oh, it's, it's Inese. Anything that was old. There's only one composer. It was just Inese. Well, there's quite a few really, really good composers, you know, very poetic composers from the 30s on. And... uh I'd, I'd like to know more about their lives and, and what uh, what caused them to write, what was their inspiration for writing, all that. Have there been any Palawan composers or specific Palawan songs that have really stood out to you or ones that just maybe fascinated you, caught your attention more than others? Um, yeah. So I, I've always been interested in language. And I mean, part of why I'm doing what I'm doing is because I also I also really want to see the Palawan language and Palawan music, but also Palawan language. I want to see it thrive. And you know, I I've sort of been coming to Palau off and on for the last thirty some years, and I've noticed a lot of changes in those in those years. And one of the changes that really struck me, I think maybe a couple of trips ago, was how a lot of the, of the younger people, uh, the younger Palawan people, were losing the language. There was so much English that was showing up. 
when they would speak. And I think that there's there's a richness to this language that is certainly expressed in many of the songs, and especially many of the older songs. So I'll give you an example. There's a there's a phrase uh, that I found now in two different songs that I find really evocative. Um, the phrase is um, either L'Anelel Adalb El Mol or L'Anelel Adalb Il Ol. And it's, you know, I, I would translate it as the cry of the ocean as, as it hits the rocks, it hits the reef. And I would never, you know, I would never have thought to use the word cry to describe the sound that the ocean makes when it crashes against the reef, presumably at low tide. But that shows up in, in it shows up in uh, Haley's, his first song that he ever wrote. And it shows up in Abiville uh, Arokungatsu by Yao Yaat. And I just think it's really, that's a really neat phrase. And, you know, when you sit back and you think about what was he thinking of? There's another one that I've been lately. I, I kind of go through, you know, my favorite song um, from multiple genres. But currently, my favorite song in, in clown music, and, and it's I'm doing a version of this song as an old-time fiddle tune now, which is a really weird cross-cultural kind of thing going on. But the song Monte Tan, and the first line of that song. The words that are in there, every time I sing them, I think about this and I think, wow, this is really weird. So it starts off and it says, Hurang Aninitev Mo Omarolev. I'm hoping for, I'm wishing for our right to go on our journey. Yeah, you think about that for a minute and you think, wow, why is, it, why is, why is he using that word? Why is he using the word? That it's our right to take our journey. Well, it's it's a journey to the little secret spot is what he wants to take. And, and the fact that that word, the limites, comes from melamout, it comes from lamout meaning justice or the right to do something, which comes from melamout, which is, you know, straight, going along a straight path. It's those kinds of things that, I, I don't know, I mean, maybe maybe to a balloon they're just like, yeah, whatever, that's just the way we talk. But... What is important, the reason why it's important that everybody doesn't speak the same language in the world is because every, every language brings its own way of looking at the world. And God help us if we lose that perspective. 
in the world. It's always good to be able to look at something from a lot of different perspectives. And so that's, that's what really appeals to me in some of this, is to, is to kind of discover a whole new way of looking at heartbreak or longing or yearning. Fascinating, and especially with um, contemporary salon songs, it's fairly common to hear maybe my I would say my parents' generation on up when they complain that lyrics these days are are far too blunt. They they uh, lack the subtleties of salon lyrics before, and so to hear that and really think about the lyrics of the older songs that a lot of us wouldn't be like, and realizing that difference and maybe seeing how there's even a change of how we're looking at things now versus before. So I, and, and what you just said is uh, is something that I heard probably from everyone that I talked to in Palau last year. Wow. Everyone complained about how the modern lyrics are not nearly as poetic or as as one woman told me, you know, one woman that I was talking to said, "When I hear some of the modern, some of the modern songs, it makes me embarrassed. It's, it's like it's like I'm seeing someone naked. It's you know, it's all out there mm-hmm. instead of being very subtle and hidden." I know for me personally, there's the Palawan song "Nanyo Sakura," which mm-hmm. as a kid I would sing along with, and I thought it was a cool song about cherry blossoms. For me to grow up and discover that that is not at all what I was thinking about. And I was shocked. I could see as as a parent in our behaviors now, especially around Palawan courtship, where people are often maybe more aggressive, less inhibited in how they approach others. Mm-hmm. And to hear that in terms of our music, that's definitely something I hadn't really considered before, just in terms of how our music is evolving with us. Yeah, well, it is definitely evolving. There's no two ways around it. And that's not all bad. You know, it, it, um, change happens over time. And I think if you listen to, you know, the, the music that I've been focusing on, which is of the 1960s and 70s, the Palawan music of 1960s and 70s, there was quite a bit of change that was happening even there. I mean, when you go from the songs that were written in the 30s and 40s and you transition up to the songs that were written in the 60s and 70s, there's quite a bit of difference. 
The last posting I just did was of a, of a song that was written in 1931 that is just interesting in how different how different the lyrics are than other songs. And I don't know if that just happens to be the woman who wrote the song. That's just the way she expressed herself. It was very dense, lots of words in, and, and kind of complex thoughts that are expressed in this lyric as opposed to just sort of, you know, very crisp lyrics that you'd see from, from other people. Are there any quirks you've come across in Salaam, usually in Salaam lyrics that took you back or, or things you just noticed that you found um, especially unusual? Yeah, yes, yes, definitely. When I, when I will start translating a song, my Palawan isn't good enough that as I hear it, I know exactly what's going on. I'm getting better at it, but, but I'm still, it's still not like complete translation as I hear it for the first time. And so there have been many songs where I'll, I'll start translating it and I'll be like, oh my God, wow, is that what they're talking about? I mean, I, I can't remember what what song it is, but the one where it's it's uh, you know basically the the gist of the song is feel I wish we could be together, but we're cousins we can't. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh man, but it has raised it has raised some questions that um, I don't know that I'll I'll ever answer. But there's some things that you know it, it's like it's like an onion as I keep peeling things I keep. I keep getting more questions that I, I really wonder what the, the answer is. So the, the clear thing, the clear scene in the Palawan music of, of 1930s through the 1970s is it's about people having affairs. 
mm-hmm. of one form or another. Uh-huh. And, you know, over and over and over again. What I'd like to, to read, I haven't found it yet, but I, what I'd like to read is a little bit of a, a story about, well, why? What's going on here? Why is everybody having a little side affair? And one of the, the themes that comes up, obviously, is the the issue of arranged marriages, where, you know, basically it's like, hey, I, I love you, but my family is saying that I have to marry this other person. So, mm-hmm. you know, and then, you know, cursing the family or cursing the ancestors because you have to follow this other path. And I I think things have changed, but I don't think it's completely changed from what I understand. I, I You know, I'm still a little bit confused. But the thing that, one of the things that I'm looking for, so, you know, obviously there's this whole, there's this whole uh, body of songs talking about, you know, my little side affair that we're having and, and now it's over. I'm still looking for that happy song where it's, you know, I found the one that I love and we we spent a wonderful life together kind of thing. And, you know, I know that that story exists because I know people who spent, they were great couples and they spent their entire lives together, you know. They they died with the person that they were with all, all those years. and uh, But I haven't found the song yet that celebrates monogamy. <laughs> Maybe that's maybe that's my stopping point when I finally found find that good song. The, the other one that I I find um, interesting, the other style of song is more of the story song. The um, and there's two that I can think of right now that are songs about um, tragedy, and, and both of them have been about kind of shipwreck or cast away or whatever whatever you call it where you know somebody goes out on the boat and the boat has a problem and off they drift into the ocean. And so that that kind of is a whole different theme that is is very interesting to me because so what I find what I find interesting is that while within the chants, within the, the old Quran chants, there's lots of storytelling, you know, st- telling stories of wars that happened and, and uh, you know, significant events in, in a village's history or in a family's history. But there's not much of that in the modern music. And why is that? I, I actually, um, if, uh, the images of the fire at the garbage dump last week all of a sudden, I started actually writing a song that was tying into the fire at the garbage dump because there's all sorts of great imagery that you can get from from the fire. Uh, but anyway, uh, in the modern music, I, I'm not, I'm not, I haven't been really finding anything that is is more of a a ballad, if you will. And I wonder, I don't know why that is either. Siren, no steezy key, 
Azimara singoto Yasumino singoto Elutame el telongos El memongolutra bedengam Rabebol temakai el ke Kairi rasingoto matsidosi rakura Otano si minasang kimomelo ongradi ongradi Yamano ueninga ere tanga tsikai Saiko no singoto Gitara pelao el dima kakare Ato no koto wa kirai lel mora kasiuku Sumasite, kisan bol mora singetsu. Yuhang sumasite, kisan bol mora singetsu. How do you go about learning about the songs? Or... So I only know a few of those histories. And that has been in the interviews that I've been conducting. So I've been, when, when I was in Palau, I tried to conduct interviews with as many musicians as I could. Um, at the time, I was mostly focused on, I, I, was, I was kind of focused on some other things. Uh, I was focused more on how this music came to be and kind of just the history of it, just kind of the, you know, dates and places, history kind of thing. There's a lot of aspects of this that would be interesting to find. But in the process of talking to people, people would relate stories about, you know, different songs. And so those, for those few songs, I actually have a little bit of the story. There's, that it raises a very interesting question that I'd like to find out the answer to. There's two songs that I know of that I know pretty much the whole backstory too. So what was what the composer was writing about? Because many of these I, I think actually most of these songs are composed by someone and meant to be about a relationship of two specific people. And obviously that's not really written down anywhere. I learned the story of a song that was uh it was about the murder of a woman and i you know i got the whole story and then i sat down and i started translating the song and i realized if i didn't know that this song was about a woman being murdered i would never know that from the lyrics of the song and so what was what's, what's interesting to me about that is 
how many people actually know that story and when they because Palau is such a small place, it's possible that, that the story gets around mm-hmm. so that when you hear the song, you already know the story. You know the backstory to it. Mm-hmm. And so even though the words don't say anything about that backstory, that's that's what comes to your mind. I, I'll give you another example that I found really interesting. I, I did a posting last week about, uh, what's the name? I can't remember what the title of the song is, but... Uh, it had the uh, the melody was taken from an Italian song uh, called Santa Lucia, and I would never have picked up on this that this melody came from Santa Lucia, except I had a recording from the 70s. I think it was Brescia Tangoba playing in Guam, and in the middle of the song, they throw in a chorus of Santa Lucia over this song. And I was like, what the heck is that? And then other people had said, oh, yeah, that's that's Santa Lucia. But but it, the song has nothing to do with Santa Lucia or anything like that. You know, it's like it's like there's this backstory that everybody knows that goes along with the song. So what what's interesting to me is, is this backstory something that should be perpetuated? Should it be kept going? Or should it just be left? Because in a lot of cases, it's a story that's not a very good story. It's a story about people who are having an affair that shouldn't have been having an affair or something like that. And maybe we should just leave the song be (laughs) and not bring up old memories of cousins getting together or something like that. in your studying of Palauan music and the history of it and the history of the American music from when you came back, did you find any parallels, particularly in the storytelling? Yeah, so like the the lyrics of many of the Palauan songs. So I play a lot of I play a lot of American country music, sang a lot of American country music. And I I was singing a lyric the other day uh, I can't remember what song it was now, and I was thinking, oh my God, I could translate this word for word into into Palawan, and it would be a it would be a hit immediately, because it it's like right on with whatever what like half the Palawan songs we're talking about, you know, songs of heartbreak, and so I know what it was. It was a Bill Monroe song. It was uh, sitting alone in the moonlight. How many songs? How many Palawan songs start off with the rising of the moon, right in the east? Right. Yeah, I mean that song is sitting alone in the moonlight, just thinking of days gone by. You know, Adi Zio, <laughs> right there. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Wondering about my sweetheart and why did she say goodbye? 
There you go. So, allowing Kentuckians, they're pretty much the same, right? So, yeah, I mean, there's there's parallels, and obviously there's no historical parallel there. There's no reason why there would be parallel except that people have similar emotions. Musically, one of the interesting threads that I've been going down is trying to connect uh, the melodies that are in these in these old Florence songs with what's their source. Where did they come from? And I'll be the first to admit that that half of the Plowing songs have recognizable melodies that have been stolen from either Japanese music or American music. Just straight up stolen. And, you know, to me, I don't have a problem with that because these melodies are not all that complicated. They're, you know, they're, they are basic things that you'd come up with, that, you know, just humming a tune or something like that. So it's not really proprietary one way or another. Uh, but it it does show a little bit about what the I guess what the influences are, and I, I get very excited when I when I can hear I hear the melody and then I say oh okay so that must have been on the radio and somebody heard that and they thought oh this would be really a great a great thing and actually uh, this one of the things that I'd really like to figure out when I was in Palau last time I was I was sitting drinking coffee in the morning at home and I was listening to Diaz or Wave Radio or whatever radio station was on and and he's playing this uh, American country music. I think it was Ricky Skaggs. And he played a song that I swear to God was the Palau National Anthem. It was like note for note. And unfortunately, I didn't, I only heard the last half of it and then he never announced what the song was. So I'll never know what the heck that song is. But, you know, this is supposedly NSA composed the Toronto National Anthem, but it could be stolen from an American country song. Yeah, I, I, I didn't recognize the song. I know quite a, quite a few American country songs, but that one did not, it didn't ring any bells. just absolutely fascinated with your fascination of Palau music. And I think I could speak on behalf of at least my listeners in saying that we're really grateful that there are people who are fascinated enough by the music that they would want to know the history and help us in preserving the language through learning about the music and the history of the music. Um, I think my only encounter with people really studying Palau music history while I was in Palau is... um, Governor Vicky Kanai had IRI State put together a songbook, and so they actually went through and they were learning the histories of the songs that they considered proprietary IRI songs. There's one song that um, most people from Angar State claim is their own, but upon delving into it, they discovered that the song was written by someone from IRI. Oh, that's that's May Otototomo. Describes the journey that you would take on a boat to get from Iray down to Angar. Outside of that, and her explaining that at a, I think it was a cultural symposium, I don't really know anyone who's taken the time out to study the history of our songs and and share that knowledge.
Well, so you had you had said before you made the, the statement that um, you thought that Kalaan music that the interest for Kalaan music would really just be among the small population of Kalaan people. Yeah, it's um, a, it, it always kind of struck me as kind of an acquired case. <laughs> well, here's so here's the point that. Um, I've made to several different people over the last year, mm-hmm. and I'll make it here again. As I'm sure you're aware, there is a there's a sizable population of people in in the states, but in the world, who are interested in different sounds. They're not just interested in you know what they can hear turning on the radio. They're interested in the sounds of other cultures or other musical ideas or something like that. And they don't have to completely understand what's going on with the music. They don't have to understand the words of it, but something in the rhythm or something in the feel of the music is what really speaks to them. And I mean, I'm certainly that way. There's all sorts of music that I love. I love West African music. I mean, there's, there's just something about the rhythm of that music that just really speaks to me, even though I have no clue what they're, they're singing about. And I have thought that there is a, a style of Palauan music that could speak to people in a similar way. And I think, and, and I I believe that even more so today than I did a year ago because I've discovered these recordings from the 1960s where there was what I call the Palauan string band era where it was all acoustic instruments, it was mandolins and guitars and a very interesting rhythm that was going on there, this cross-cultural rhythm that happened. So if you think about this melting pot that happened, you've got you've got Chuki's rhythms that came in starting in the you know the teens and the twenties from the phosphate mining in Angar. Mm-hmm. You get the, the Japanese Enka sounds coming in, and you get the American country music sounds coming together, thrown into a stew with uniquely Palawan perspective on what's going on. And you had some, what what I am very strongly contending were some pretty damn good musicians in, uh, you know, some of the those early mandolinists and guitarists are playing some really, really tasty stuff. Some of the singers, you know, it would have been nice if they had had tuning when they recorded these things so that they could have gotten the instruments and tuned before they did it. But there is some fabulous stuff that I've been I've been digging up, and I'm I'm trying to do justice to making decent recordings out of it. I I truly believe that that style of music can can find an audience outside of Palau. And I, I've talked to you know I talked to some of the musicians in Palau and said. You know, you you had some really good things going on. You had some great musicians. And I know that today's market 
the, the business side of the music pushes you towards having an electronic keyboard and a singer, and that's it. But you can also be making music for music's sake and bringing back some of the old sounds. Either the full band, you know, the, the uh, late 70s, early 80s sounds of the full electric band, or even further back, the full the uh, acoustic band. That, that's one of my little missions, is to, is to try to make this music popular again, this, this acoustic music. I'd love to hear some of the modern singers singing in an acoustic setting. You know, it, it's tough when, when, when you're trying to put a band together. I mean, I, I understand the, the business side of, of the music. You, know, you put a band together, and if you can make that sound that people want to go dancing to, you know, and you gotta you gotta get on a plane and go to Fresno to do it. It's a heck of a lot easier to do that with a keyboard player and a singer than it is to do it with five piece band. But uh, I, you know, I, I really think that there's potentially a market for something bigger. Like I personally would like more people to learn about your work and and learn about the things that you're learning about. Because it's, I think it's fascinating. Yeah, I'm probably getting half of it wrong, but I'm trying, and I figure hopefully somebody will set me straight at some point. And... Yeah. 
Maya Saraba Petika Rengu Maral Dika Weltange Osinko Makmo Uram Rabel de Kek E Uma So in that in that video, what's what's kind of interesting about that is that in, in that video for Among the Sinai, um, I played a fiddle in there. I take a, a instrumental break on the violin, and one of the comments on the YouTube site, somebody was like, "What a violin in in Palau music? I've never heard this before." It turns <laughs> out that there were several violin players in Palau in the '60s, and and I think I actually have found out where they learned how to play. Well, I was just li- listening to my interview with Haley again when, before I wrote this article I did for him a few weeks ago. And so you must know the name Vitarelli. Oh, yeah. Big name in Palauan history. Well, he, Dr. Vitarelli was a violin player. He taught several people in Palau how to play violin. Yeah, so, so he's the source. Yeah. I mean, Hayley was telling me that when the, the first electric guitars came to Palau, mm-hmm. uh, they had to go to him to ask him how to tune them. And he explained, oh, no, this is, how, this is what it is. You know, tune it just like a regular guitar. And and, uh, and then they figured out, like, oh, wow, this is cool. <laughs> One of his sons actually played in a band with, um, so in the, for the first micro Olympic games in 1969, there were several bands from Palau that went up there to play. Both both Haley and Johnny B went up there, but it was um, it was the band that Johnny B first played with was one of them. I know that the cavemen went up there, and Vitarelli's son was playing drums on that band. I think we don't expect anyone outside of us to really like our music. And so to have someone from outside of, like, the actual, like, Palauan culture who who likes the music, who appreciates it, who wants to know more about it, and then does it so well, is exciting for us. I want to thank you so much for your help and everything you're doing for the sake of our language. Uh, you know, it's my it's my pleasure. I've been having a good time doing it. Dim le rawarengu, 
bodong masan mo lengelet medikungam rarenguk edida ileku magdi orengek malaroy eleng meringgalada kasawes Tang morngi te ele del mokasa ues el tanosi.